We've done this before. Let's try something new. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music insight and opinion. Today is April 5th, 2021. This marks a monumental occasion for this podcast. This is the finale of Season 3. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Please, hold applause to the end yes, of the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is a serious honor. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today, as always, like I'd have no one else here, Steve. Yo. <laughs> not that you're necessarily like the... I'm no one. Yeah, I'm no one else. I'm the, I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm the guy on the couch, like in uh, Half-Baked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy on the couch. Or uh, in Dude, Where's My Car, Gene. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah just the <laughs> Wake up and piss in the, uh, piss in the, uh, yeah. the, the plant or yeah. something. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, man, this is the end of season three. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about how far we've come with this show. I know we say it all the time. We always base it on everything off the first episode, but it was so bad. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pat ourselves on the back or anything. And be like, man, we have a really good sounding podcast. It's almost but- like if we could remaster that uh, episode. I think in the break between season three and season four, there might be a uh, remastered version of episode one that I might throw out there. Interesting. I'm not sure. Stay tuned for that. Hmm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, man, it's just, it's really crazy to think about it that, you know, all the interviews and stuff that have been done, the amount of people that we've reached, you know, where we have now surpassed 10,000 downloads. Um, you know, it's, it's not a small feat for anybody. But, I mean, obviously, there's some people that get, like, 10000 in a day. Yeah. So, it's nothing super fucking crazy to a lot of people. But it's homegrown with no real support, just two guys and some microphones. Literally, this is... We're the equivalent to, like, the American wave of thrash metal with tape trading, basically. We're on the bad end of the millennial Gen Z side, too, where we didn't, you know, totally establish a social media following. Because I see a lot of podcasts that already have a huge social media following through their marketing, then make a podcast. So they already have thousands of people that are going to jump. We just... I guess we should start a social media account with this, too. You know what I mean? Literally, we're, like, one step away from, like, Putting this shit on tape and sending it out. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're playing, you know, college parties for (laughs) five bucks and free PBR. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're doing here. However, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yes. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we can say legitimately that we did this on our own. We're living through our art, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, in the, uh, in the last week, if you encounter anything new or interesting. Yeah, and that short break between uh, March 29th and today. Um, <laughs> I actually showed you before our uh, previous episode a song called Heat Wave by the act Cobra Man. Yes. Um, and it's funny because this was just introduced to me. I had never heard of the artist. And I, I was looking up more of the description because I wouldn't even know how to categorize this. And they basically are categorizing it as disco punk. Disco punk. That's strange. Which is, I can get behind because, like, Foster the People is the best band I could say if you know of them to relate them to. Okay. Um, or MGMT, in a well, sense. Well, that's like the, it's funny, too, you, that you just mentioned MGMT because I, I mean, granted, they were a very, very, very mainstream band or group, rather, but I feel like they were way ahead of their time with their song styling oh, yes. and the way they produced their music. That it's almost like if they would have come out like five years later, yeah. they would be at like at the Huge. top of all this shit right now. Yeah. 
But yeah, that heat wave single too. Like when I heard that term disco punk, I can get behind that because it is. That's the first thing I had was a very Saturday night fever feel to yeah. it. But it's not disco. It's got some weird edge to it that it's very appealing. Yeah. You know, I listen to some fucking shit that, you know, we went back later on. I ain't going to be telling too many people about it. <laughs> But this song, man, is, you know, I'm driving, you yeah. know. Dark in the city, just the street lights are flashing by, and I'm, you know, like when John Travolta's getting all ready to go to the club, yeah, exactly. and he's got fucking Saturday Night Fever playing, and he's putting that gold chain on, and yeah, that's what this is. It's like a more modern and tasteful idea of disco punk. Yeah, I can get I, behind that. Yeah, you showed me that, and I, my first thing was, I was like, man, this sounds like a Tupac instrumental. Yeah, how it starts. Like, yeah, it's very yeah, like, but. Like, as, as it, it went in, on, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it's very, very, very fucking So cool. appealing. So yeah. appealing. I dig that. Yeah. So absolutely. who was that again? That The name of the act is Cobra Man, the single that it came out in 2020. It's called Heat Wave. That's awesome. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Um, In the span, in the time span between the last two episodes. Yeah, the week that was a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> five, five, five to seven minutes. Yeah, it was, it how, was a scheduled smoke break, yeah. Yeah, about how fast you're able to chief down a fucking Marvel Red. Um, <laughs> I um, I had come across it a little while ago, but I had just showed you the uh, the Steel Panther covers of DOA by Van Halen and Beautiful Girls. Um, if I had to choose one to show people, it would probably be DOA. Uh, I like that song way more off Van Halen too. Anyway, I do too. And. Um, the vocals and the harmonies between Satchel and Michael Starr are fucking phenomenal with the chorus. And um, a little known fact, I mean, I'm pretty sure I may have said it on the show before. I'm not 100% sure. But Steel Panther had gotten their, you know, start and their notoriety as a Van Halen tribute band called the Atomic Punks. And, you know, they, they I'm pretty sure they spawned it off into like a franchise because there's a couple more Atomic Punk bands and they're labeled the Atomic Punks. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know the business end of it. But, I mean, if they were smart, they probably would have fucking, uh, you know, did a whole, like, thing that Paul Stanley was talking about with Kiss and basically turned into, like, a like a contract for hire type thing. Yeah. So, um, for them to do a Van Halen cover is, like, nothing for them. But to actually have it, like, full-blown, like, for real recorded and actually be able to see it. And hear it and actually have it not be like a live video, even though the live videos are still good. But to have it as a recorded studio, quote unquote, studio live Zoom session footage, it's a extremely good cover. So uh, those of you out there that like Steel Panther and or Van Halen, uh, just search it up, uh, type in Steel Panther. And it's actually one of the first uh, uh, suggestions that come up and uh, check out DOA or beautiful girls you will not be disappointed either. yeah they were very good very good covers we were you actually said it too like so when's he going to be singing for van halen yeah he really and it's funny because steel panther again being a satirical band um i was never a huge fan of them and then i listened to them you know in certain with certain people in certain realms and a lot of the reason why I love the Misfits is because of when I heard those songs and what I was doing when I heard those songs made it that much more enjoyable. So like memories yeah. got tied to it and it makes it like just so much better. Um, and Steel Panther, when I like revisited them, like I found a new appreciation for them. Oh yeah. And then I get to see these covers of like <laughs> authentic music being played by these guys. Yeah. And it's fucking good, man. Like these guys are actually very talented. They're phenomenal yeah. musicians. And yeah. you know, like the whole like Steel Panther thing is just like a facade and like they you know, they yeah. really I think Michael Starr's the only one that actually has like legitimately long hair. I think all the rest of them wear wigs. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the drummer's bald. And like Satchel has like hair video. like like you know, like shorter than my hair. It's like uh the singer from um Band and Rockstar. Uh, oh, Steel Dragon, Steel Dragon. Just Dragon when he takes off <laughs> yeah. his wig and yeah, that's how I imagine these guys when they get done. Kim recording. was a guy. Yeah, Kim is the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, Bob. You just keep your dick away from me. Uh, it's so funny. Like in interviews, like if that ever gets brought up to Zach Wild, he like laughs it off. Like he like he doesn't even like he never even did it. Yeah, really. Which is actually funny because the only the only reason he has a beard is because of that movie. Like, there's a deleted scene that never made it to film 
where they do like a like a where are they now type thing, and like they did it with all the bands and Zach Wild's character is like a mountain man, like living out in the woods and shit, and like he's got a long ass beard and he grew he grew a beard for that movie, and if you know folklore is true. He uh, saw the beard, he liked it, and then he kept it. Kept it. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. Thank you, Marky Mark. <laughs> <laughs> On this day in music history. On this day in music history, April 5th, 1967. Monkeys fans march in London in protest of band member Davy Jones's announced introduction into the army. The teen heartthrob is eventually exempted from duty for being his family's main provider. Interesting. Back then, nobody was safe. Yeah. It's a shame. Uh, he was know, a believer. He's exempted from duty for being the family's main provider. I didn't even know that that was a plausible reason to be exempt from the army. I guess it makes sense, though, if you can say, you know, my family will starve, essentially. If yeah, without me. I leave, yeah. It makes sense. I never really thought of it in that light. That's interesting. At least he didn't take the Ted Nugent approach. Yeah. I think he like claimed like insanity and like pissed himself and like all kinds of crazy shit. Hey, he claims that didn't happen, but if that didn't happen, why didn't he go? Yeah. I don't want to even get political about that, but a lot can be said about the Nuge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. No, I never knew that about him, too. I'm going to have to do some more research on that so I can further. Yeah, it's on his behind the music. Wow. Okay. Whoops. Going forward here to 1984, Marvin Gaye's funeral takes place in Los Angeles with Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, Quincy Jones, and Barry Gordy attending. Gaye died four days earlier when he was shot by his father during an argument. That's a fast funeral. Yeah. That's that's actually pretty quick. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... uh that's an interesting story too, the Marvin Gaye story. Yeah, I thought we recommended something in relation to that. We didn't did. We not? It was back in the very beginning of yeah, the show. Yeah, I was going to say, because I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember everything about this, and it was really, really crazy and very dramatic. But, um, yeah. Rest in peace, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, just look at the people that attended his funeral. You ever think about that, like when you die? Yeah. And attend your funeral. Do you imagine if Stevie Wonder <laughs> and Quincy Jones showed up to your fucking funeral? Spoiler I'd be like, kill me now. Dude. <laughs> Speaking of Stevie Wonder and Quincy Jones, in 1985, thousands of radio stations play We Are the World simultaneously at 10.50 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, yeah, then in the following few weeks, the song goes to number one in America and the UK. I love We Are the World. You know what's so funny? It's a classic. Will had no idea that song fucking existed until I showed him about 10 years ago. Ten years ago? Ten years ago. All right, so he's still familiar of it, though, at least for a decade. No. But he didn't know he, it existed. He had no fucking clue the song even existed. Because he was like, imagine if, uh, if I remember this correctly, he was like, imagine if, you know, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson did a song oh, together. And I was God. like, I was like, what? Oh, so he went that route to even lead it into the possibility. Yeah, like, it was didn't... a party at his house. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, because everyone would play, like, different <sighs> music. And one night you'd have, like... Backstreet Boys, System of a Down, Pantera, and then NSYNC show up in one night. And, was, like, just all crazy shit. I thought it was pretty bad when I didn't know about Rock Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, it was literally that bad. He'll tell you. And um, he's like, uh, yeah, imagine if Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder did a song. And I was like, what? I said, are you serious? I said, you never heard We Are The World? He's like, what? I put it on. It was, like, instantly his favorite song. I mean, I, I fucking love it. I, you know, Shining Star moment at least for me, is uh, Huey Lewis's part in it. Like, it's just like, you have all these, like, A-class, like, fucking top-notch Well, Huey Lewis in the singers. news, you have to understand, he still had, yeah, nowhere near the chops of... Michael were, Jackson yeah, and Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder. But, it, but to feature feature him in there was very cool because, he like was I said, Huey Lewis in the news, yeah, they, they're uh-huh. still very big. Well, this is uh, April of 85. I don't think Back to the Future had been out yet. Because that came out in 85. So, Back to the Future had either just finished production or was just coming out in theaters. It's April. I'm pretty sure it got a summer release. So, before I sound like a total smack dash. July 3rd it was released. Yeah, see? So, July 3rd, Huey Lewis still hadn't even been as popular as they were yet. I mean, I think sports had come out by this point and sports was already fucking insanely huge. Yeah. But, um... I know we always like steer conversations to hard rock and heavy metal. 
uh, very little known tidbit here in music history, uh, completely unrelated to this day, but somewhat related to We Are the World. Did you know there was a heavy metal version of We Are the World that was recorded around the same time? Performed by... It was called Band Aid. It's called We're Stars. Ronnie James Dio, Rob Halford, Motley Crue, Wasp, fucking oh, so Quiet it was a Riot. super packed of... Yeah. yeah After right. the show's done, I'll show you the song. Okay, I think that sounds pretty good. familiar because yeah. you, as soon as you said Dio, I think I did see something. It's got Dio, Dokken, Motley Crue, Wasp, um, uh, Judas Priest. It's got all kinds of shit in there. Like, like, like a bunch of dudes that you wouldn't assume. Uh... Who else is in there? I'm pretty sure Cheap Trick was in there as well. Like, dude, I'm telling you, it was like a heavy metal We Are the World. Oh, wow. Spinal Tap was in it, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of satirical bands. Yep. Fit them in there. Um, going forward, 1994, very iconic day in the sake of grunge music. Kurt Cobain of Nirvana kills himself with a, I mean, this is all hypothetical to most, uh, kills himself with a shotgun at age 27. His body isn't discovered until three days later. When an electrician enters to install an alarm in the pool house located. If you have property. listened to the show since season one until now, you've already heard the Nirvana talk and the conspiracies related yes. around and surrounding the death of Kurt Cobain, whether or not it was self-inflicted or contracted or just sheer coincidence. Yeah. I don't think we need to go any further. Yeah, I, the only thing I do want to say, though, is I think of the how iconic a musician is um, and how of recent times we don't have many musicians, at least for my personal taste, that have been cut so short to where like they were not even peaking in their careers yet, if you think in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know, you had Chris Cornell, you had, yeah, you know, deaths like that, but they yeah. were already so established, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's always tragic in any case, but I can't think of, I mean, the Riley Gale situation, I think that's what fucks me up because that was a band I was just getting into. Yeah. And it happened after his death, which is even more sad because that's a genre of music that I could have seen myself going to power trip shows on a regular exactly. came around. Um, so with this, I can only imagine what it was like being in your like early 20s, 1994, and you're waking up to this news, you know, mm-hmm. not too long after the unplugged, you know, was done and not too long after in utero was in shells. I mean, still very fresh in that regard. And, you know, you're in hopes for future work and, mm-hmm. you know, that's. Yeah. Yeah. 94. Tough time. Another tragic passing in the Seattle grunge scene in 2002, Alice in Chains' frontman Lane Staley dies after overdosing on heroin and cocaine. The 34-year-old singer had fallen into addiction and lost most contact with the outside world. His body isn't discovered until two weeks later when police enter his apartment on April 19th after friends and associates report him missing. Yeah, yeah, he was like decomposing. Oh, I, I heard that before his death, he was decomposed. Well, yeah, he was like 80 pounds yeah, soaking so wet. I forget what the story is of who actually saw him last. But Mike Starr. Mike Starr, that's it. He wanted he, to get him help. Yeah, he used to just hang in this particular bar that was right down the road from where he was living. And, you know, he'd sit in the corner with his sunglasses on within the dark bar. And, mm-hmm. yeah, basically was said to look like a corpse. Yeah. In, like, a walking corpse at that point. Yeah. But, yeah, it's crazy that his body was missing for that long and nobody... I think what actually happened was also what triggered that was because he stopped hitting up his agent or the record execs for money because he was constantly asking them for putting money in in his account yeah you know, he was obviously addicted to heroin so i mean that mm-hmm. you knew that was gonna happen but it, i guess what triggered it was he stopped hitting them up for money i think was the story as well so they yeah. got concerned it's crazy yeah that's crazy it, it, i always think about that too that they died on the same day just years apart yeah yeah wild two huge icons obviously one is more noted than the other definitely on and the obviously one of 90s oh yeah music and definitely one with way more uh singing abilities than the other one we're not gonna get. We're not gonna get too far. We're into that not one. gonna. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> debate that with you That's up for debate. Yeah, we don't need to do that today. Uh, two thousand five. That's the best part about this being a two-person show now is that, like, when I say shit like that, it's just you against me, not like you and someone else. Yeah, yeah. We me. get the team up effect because that totally <laughs> was what would happen. And uh, two thousand five on the eleventh anniversary of Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain's suicide, as mentioned above. His hometown of Aberdeen, Washington, adds the phrase, come as you are, to its welcome sign. 
I always thought that was pretty cool when I heard that. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine having that much of an impact that your hometown like put something in there? Or could you imagine? If, I like, just imagine. Fuck if my hometown. Just, I want that much of an impact in general would be great. Yeah. If you wouldn't even have to put a fucking. Do you imagine if it's like welcome to Mullica Hill, your full spectrum source for yeah. all things music No, yeah. your full spectrum source for all things farms and you know lacrosse. I don't know like, what, and what antique the stores and antique stores. <laughs> full spectrum source for village bagels and I had village bagels for breakfast this morning. Did you? Yeah, such a good fucking, extremely good. God, it's always good. In case you're ever in the Mullica Hill, New Jersey area, uh, check out Village Bagel for all your breakfast and bagel needs. Put it this way, it was good enough where I almost failed senior year of high school for being late to get Village Bagel. <laughs> yeah, their, their bagels are fucking good. You should drive from Mullica Hill to Mantua to pick up a certain individual and then drive from Mantua back to Mullica Hill just to get this bagel and then to school. Like, the direction passing the school from Mantua is right there, the so I had to pass twice. the school. Yeah, I literally passed the school twice just to get a fucking bagel and somebody a ride. That's so funny. 2015, Bill. Two days after Furious 7 is released in theaters, the See You Again video featuring footage from the film debuts on Facebook and Twitter. The next day, it is posted on YouTube, where it eventually breaks the record for the most views previously held by size Gangnam Style. Um, I mean, we... I saw Furious 7 in theaters, and when this scene came up with the two uh, yeah, cars driving I past, I, I, dude, I fucking bawled. I, can like, only imagine. I, I, could, I couldn't hold it in. I couldn't only imagine. See, I, I was a huge Paul Walker fan, but I was not a huge Fast and, Fast and Furious, and Furious fan. fan. I love the first two. Even Tokyo Drift for me was pretty cool. I, like I still Drift. find that. It's like my Halloween 3 of the It's Fast the unsung hero of the series. It, it really, really is. is. And it ties in the movies, which is great. Yeah. Um, But the Paul Walker thing, I just, I mean... It's like when anybody dies, like people have more connection than others. And, you know, Paul Walker's passing was absolutely tragic as it was. It's just not something that hit me to a huge level. Like Heath Ledger was different where I was a huge fan of um, 10 Things I Hate About You. Like it was just like a guilty pleasure as a kid because it was bitter, yeah. like borderline chick flick. My sister loved it. Saw it all the time. Always loved that movie. Um, so when he passed, I mean, but that song. Oh, yeah. The song is just. It's, it's corny. It, yeah, it's. That, but it's also, I could see why it blew up. Oh, yeah. Because it is that catchy at the same mm-hmm. time. It's been a yeah. day. Yeah. You it is a quintessential, like, sad song for the moment. Like, oh, you're yeah. caught up in the feelings and just. Well, you saw Furious 7, right? Yes, so, yeah. So you understand the I scene. I've been forced to watch these individual movies. Because well, my father is uh, <laughs> typical, you know, dad laid back in his recliner. Fast and the Furious is on AMC. He's got well, my on. thing is just like, you know, I'd watched all of them. So I was like, you had to this is going. the last one with Paul Walker. Yeah, I really have to, to see this. Going. Yeah. And then I was not expecting that last scene, and I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, don't drive, Paul. <laughs> oh, man. That's so, uh, yeah. I No, I can totally see that, because, um, like I said, with any movie, any type of situation, when they have a posthumous view... Yeah. It's going to hurt. It's going to just hit feelings. Like, it has to. It, it, it hurt. Yeah. It hit me right in the feels. And then sometimes I question when they do music like this. Do they have that thought behind it? Are they like, yo, this is going to blow up because... This is going to make some motherfucker... This is going to make some fat motherfucker cry in the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> they like, no, it's going to hit the fucking heartstrings. Uh, 2017, age 73, Barry Manilow comes out as gay. This one surprised me. Yeah. I mean, not that I'm like, I follow Barry Manilow by any means, but it struck me as odd at 73. Yeah. Like, why not earlier? Yeah, I know. And it's also 2017. Like, it's been years since. Well, he's like, well, it's now widely accepted, so fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's new, pussy? You could have probably just, like, (laughs) kept that to yourself and just been okay with it. I mean,. Whatever. More power to you, man. I mean, obviously, if you get to that point in yourself where you're able to feel comfortable to do that, it's good enough that the world has made it easier for people to do that, which I fully support. Yeah, exactly. Um, But with the Barry Manilow thing, yeah. I mean, you're 73. You're already an icon in your own regard. 
I mean, he didn't. I don't know what led to the idea to do it. If it was like a real thought up situation, because he's got enough. That's what I'm saying. He's got enough credibility where it's not like he was hiding from his parents and going through a lot of those issues. But if he was feeling where his parents aren't even around anymore, that's what I'm saying. I didn't want to say that. Well, maybe who knows? His parents are dead, so he's well. I mean, I don't know. It's 73. They could (laughs) miracle of science, I guess, if that was the case. Well, the advancements in medical technology, anything is possible. Last thing here in music news, uh, music history, rather. Um, 2019, the Aretha Franklin documentary Amazing Grace is finally released in theaters, 47 years after it was recorded in 1972. We didn't mention this before, didn't we? We knew we talked about this. It's very possible. I don't. You got to figure it's been over a year of solid year of us doing this. So, yeah. Kind of coming into. I'm pretty sure this was brought up at one point. Yeah. Our on this days are going to start bleeding into each other. Well, I think we have like a like five years before they start being the same thing, right? Possibly, unless there was another reason on a different day of why, like, it may have finished Maybe filming it, or that's probably could what have it was. been something in that, like, yeah, like it finally got. Uh, reviewed or some yeah. shit. But that's what I mean by like bleeding into each it. other because a lot of the days they'll be close enough where some of the topics may be related yeah. to the actual release of said topic or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like you in know. fucking two years from now we're going like, to be talking the last about how time Kurt we did Cobain this, was caught. Yeah, I was going to say the last found. time we did this was, you know, Blaine Staley has been missing for several days. It would come out later that he was, you know what I mean? Exactly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it would come out later when we recorded this next year that he actually died on that day and <laughs> so to kind of wrap up this season um we kind of want to uh hold on let me think about how we want to transition this going back to what we had mentioned about (laughs) our first episode and the idea of the potential to have it remastered yeah it made me think to myself that what the biggest contributing factor that makes this podcast mostly tolerable for any of our listeners is the production of sound because i'm i'm not a huge podcast guy but from time to time i will stumble upon something that sounds enjoyable and you know at night i like to have something other than music at times whether it be stand-up comedy shows and podcasting to listen to one thing that will automatically make me say nope not even subscribe and will be sound production yes and i thought to myself we live in a time where how awesome it is that we could just go on fucking Amazon and any website. And as long as we have just enough knowledge about what we're looking for, we can order products that this right here in 1970 would have been like, what the fuck? Think about the transistor radios before TVs and how that's, oh, and he's coming down the left field line when they're like listening to baseball games. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the shit that we have now, which is very, very bare bones, minimum, bottom of the barrel shit. Yeah. If we had this in like the 60s, they'd be like, holy Holy shit. shit. Blown away. You take this in a time machine and bring it back to any newscaster in 1952. They're the number one newscaster in the entire world. Yeah, this is broken. Uh, People are tuning in from (laughs) fucking Syria to listen to this guy broadcasting in California. Listen how clear it sounds. I know. (laughs) So what I wanted to say is, is with that idea, we live in that time, you know, luxury. We can remaster season one and make it sound great. Now, this is the flip side of that. Bands, and this is where I kind of want to narrow it into the idea. Bands have released albums over the years that not even remasters can save. That yes. just the way it was recorded, that you could release remaster after remaster after remaster, and ultimately it's going to either sound worse or maybe a little better, but more times than not, it sounds worse. I thought, and I've thought of this many times, of albums that we wish almost could have been recorded in today's age. So, for instance, if you I could take that few. band, because some of them may still be alive, but they're just not in their prime. Like they couldn't just gather together and re-record the album in its entirety and have it sound as good because you're not going to have the same vocal capabilities. You're not going to have the same guitar playing abilities. Yeah. The same, you know, so, so if we what? had a time machine. Yeah, if we had a time <laughs> machine and we could bring any studio equipment of anything of value in today's world to a band that recorded an album of ours that we enjoy, mm-hmm. what are some of those albums you would love to have seen been able to be recorded in the modern age? Well, 
as of recent, you had given me your Unanimator album, Ancient God of Evil. Yes. I loved it. I thought it was a great album. Everything was awesome about it, except for the production. I've said it before. It's not like I need everything to be like fucking. But you have a peculiar taste. Yes. I like, I like shit to have like the full spectrum of sound. I love, I I don't want to be like, oh, I'm an audiophile and all this other shit because I'm not. Yeah. I just have a certain level of expectation for music. And I feel like. With metal and heavier genres and, you know, all of its subgenres, if the production isn't perfect, or not even perfect, but if, you know, there isn't that full spectrum of sound, all the frequencies, you can lose a lot of the integrity of the music. And, you know, like, how many times have we been in, like, a rehearsal space or practice or something, and we're playing something and we're like, man, this sounds really fucking good. And it just doesn't train. Then you try to train. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. It just doesn't happen. I feel like that's what happened with this album. Yeah. Because like I said, the song, the songs were fucking great. Everything was awesome. The guitar playing was on point. Fucking drums were awesome. The production is what killed this album. And if they were to be able to do this album now, it would be fucking incredible. You know, it's funny about this too. So when we talked about this, because that production for me, for that genre is more so appealing to me. That's yeah. where, like, I call it maybe the sound of perseverance difference. The mm-hmm. sound of difference, we'll call it. <laughs> the sound of difference being that you more of that era of death in your personal yes. preference where I love Scream Bloody Gore. I love Leprosy. But however, that production value for certain genres, mm-hmm. as rugged as they may be, doesn't fucking fly for me. Yeah. So the unanimity unanimated album in particular yeah. that production is great and what's funny about it is because you're mentioning of how you feel they do have an album that came out before this one they only have two albums I believe and the album that came out before this one I figured I love Ancient God of Evil I might as well check out some new stuff by them so just go back to their earlier work that's how I felt about that album is the same way you feel about, about this, this album one. because I'm like why couldn't they have just recorded it during the Ancient God of Evil time because that production fucking killed it for me Oh, like shit. when I say killed it, I won't even listen to it. This album, particularly that you're mentioning, I listen to this quite a bit. It's just a very I can put it on, and it's just all the way through. Every song is so digestible. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I can totally get behind with what you're saying in terms of production because that first album by them. Like imagine if they had like a like Jason Sukoff produce this yeah. or. You know, like a Joey Sturgis or something like Shit, that. Shit, even like a Rick Rubin. A Rick Rubin, he would tear that the fuck up. 100%. Like imagine like Trouble. Imagine take, Trouble's take like album the, if it had yeah. if if that if this album had Trouble's production. Or even Danzig One. Yeah. Be fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like there's a certain threshold once you break through like the mid nineties to the early two thousands where shit really started to sound really good. And it's unfortunate that bands like Limp Biscuit. And like Lincoln Park were like the type of bands that got the first stab at this new style production. Well, then that's also what bothers me when it comes down to record companies and production companies and also the thought of where a band may be going. Because let's bear in mind, when you mention artists like Limp Bizkit and all of them, they can come right on the scene and already have a fucking, you know, million dollars put towards their budget for whatever they want to record. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the albums I know you're going to mention, so I'm going to flip and talk about an album in particular that was on a low budget, but was budgeted towards a band that would ultimately become a staple in terms of thrash metal. And this is what I mean by a genre of music where the production on Ancient God of Evil just doesn't fucking cut it for me. Yeah. That album being Killing is my business and business is good. Yeah. That album already had a low budget to begin with. The backstory to that is, is Dave and fellas, they decided to use that money towards drugs and fucking alcohol and yep. very much dicked around, but still were able to produce a very fucking good album. But the production is what hurts it drastically. Even the remasters that have come out over the years, mm-hmm. um, it gives it a little more life. Also, that being in contrast of the album you're going to recommend, because that album gets no fucking life no matter what remasters yeah. they do. It's the same every goddamn time. <laughs> so, Killing In My Business, it's funny because, again, that was a time where those bands weren't getting the same reputation yeah, to know, like, we're going to 
throw millions of dollars at these guys. They got it. Because I think the production was available to yeah. know that because you had artists like Queen, Fleetwood Mac, Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. all the Van way going Ian, back. Molly Crew. Absolutely had the availability. Mm-hmm. But money wasn't getting thrown that way. But then you get to see... As soon as you turn around to so far, so good, so what, and peace sells and rust, rust in peace, peace. like countdown the fucking, to extinction, the production, like how quickly, drastically yeah. that changed, and it's also because of the availability and who they worked with. Yep. And that first album to me has honestly, and if it was as produced as well as peace sells, would probably be my favorite Megadeth album because every song on there is what I expect from that band. Yep. It's ferocious. His vocals are the best they are ever going to yes, be, I think, exactly. in my mind. Yep. Chosen Ones, Rattlehead, all those songs on there are just so goddamn good. I agree 100%. And it's just, it sucks because you're not getting the same feel you get from Peace Cells and Rust in Peace and Countdown because of that lack of production. Yep. Album that I'm bringing up here, it actually has complete ties to the album that you just brought up because most that. of the songs are probably written around the same time <laughs> by the same guy. <laughs> the album I'm talking about is the first studio release from Metallica, uh, Kill Em All. This is, as no surprise to anybody that listens to this show, this is my least favorite Metallica album, and the reason for it is the production. Horrible. Like, literally horrible. In Like, you hear the difference between Kill Em All and Ride the Lightning. It's like night and day. Then you hear, like, if you were to take Kill Em All against Master of Puppets, it's like, holy shit, this isn't even the same band. Yeah. Kill Em All. Injustice for all, you're not even the same fucking. You're not even in the same uh, fucking galaxy anymore. Not even close. Kill them all. If they were to have made that album with today's technology and today's gear, and yeah, today's technology, today's gear, and today's producers, kill them all. Be fucking, yeah, with them in their prime as they were. Exactly. The they, they couldn't redo it now. So no, Lars, yeah, yeah, don't don't yeah, uh, don't even get it. On. Yeah, d- don't get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? He, he's so angry at us of all the shit we said. I'm gonna fuck up. Damn right, I'm gonna do this. Right, I'll, I'll fucking do it right now. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: like, this is where I say that again, specific genre, because it's ironic for me to sit here and say that the production's horrible, and that's why I don't like it. Because I listen to a lot of bands where the reason why I listen to them is because of the poor production. Yes, but that's because that's what I want from that genre. My thrash metal. Like like Power Trip, I keep going back to because I think like Power Trip has the perfect blend of almost sounding raw but polished enough where you're getting every instrument to its clarity. Yeah, you're getting the vocals defined and you're getting everything flowing at an even pace with never having to sacrifice any part of it for the sake of feeling more authentic. Exactly. And Kill 'Em All, I couldn't even say it's my worst like least favorite because it's arguably it's in my top four. Obviously, because it was top four are yeah. my top four. But it's always a balance between And Justice for All and Kill Em All being that number third because number third, number three, number third, number third, are we number, talking on a walkie Yeah, the third favorite album because of the production is what's killing it on Kill Em All. Mm, um, I saw you did but there. But all, all those songs <laughs> on there are so good. They're so well yes. written. But here's the thing. It's like you talk about if they could record and produce that album today and stuff. Why couldn't they just do what they did on Ride the Lightning? What happened? Well, I, like, it's I, funny, Because even Ride the Lightning is that healthy balance for me where it's not as polished and it's still got a raw well, feel to it, here's but it's still the thing. great. Metallica was signed to Electra Records. Anthrax was on the same fucking album. You yeah. listen to Spreading Disease or fucking... Among the Living. Among the Living. That production's fucking a million times better than Kill Em All. Hundred, Yeah. Million way better. times better. Way better. And honestly, Kill Em All fucking smashes the piss out of both those Anthrax albums, in my opinion. Yeah. And, I mean, that's not talking shit about Anthrax at all, but it's just the, it's just is what it's it is. It's the thing. Think about the songs that are on Kill Em All and how great they sound on the live in Seattle 89 show. Yes. Like, what the fuck? That's what we're, yep. you, you know, you're, you're missing. Like, for instance, if I'm going to go and lift weights, mm-hmm. all right? Let's put that in perspective. There's music that I obviously have in mind that I'm going to listen to. Yeah. And honestly, Kill Em All has songs that would be great, but the production's so poor that I'm going to miss that, like, that feel, that mm-hmm. edge, that, like, fired up feeling that those songs do bring. Yeah. But that production is more of a soft pillow than a pillow made of concrete, as Eddie Vedder would say. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and it's sad because, again, it's just a flawless album in terms of the musicianship, the song choice, the structure, but that production, man. Kills it. And it, like I said, you could put that production on any of my black metal albums and I'd probably hate it because it'd be too polished, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But in that genre in particular, it, it, that's really what does it. <clears throat> um, one of the albums I'm going to talk about is... Uh, is actually more so of a compilation album of demo tracks. And the way I'm going to relate this and knowing the potential of this band is because members of this band in particular being Repulsion, as Bill would know, considering I had to reinvest in a hoodie of this album, this certain album, because (laughs) someone had the other one and I missed it a lot and I rebought it as a grown adult and it looks like I've been wearing the same hoodie for 14 years now. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Long story. That's not for here. Um, But the band that is Repulsion has members that were included in the band Death Breath that were active, considerably still active now, but released their last release in about 2007. Um, The band is actually mashed with members of the Death Metal Greats Entombed as well. Um, and they've released music, so you know the potential of these guys, you know, you know the quality. But the album they have, Horrified, is so good. It's actually hailed as one of the originating albums of the grindcore scene, along with Napalm Death. Um, and the album itself, it's so good, it's so well done. It's just, it's grindcore to its fullest. You know, we're talking like 40 songs running at. 12 minutes type yeah. shit. Like, I love grindcore for that and punk. Same thing. Uh, but the album's so good. But the production on it, there are maybe 12 or 11 songs on there that just like, to me, again, this is a genre where some people are going to hate on the fact that I wish the production was better because maybe that's the pushing point for it. Yeah. There are several songs on that album where the production does work. That being Black Breath, which is my favorite song on the album. But, The production of that, like I said, there are albums, for instance, that were released by Napalm Death, that being Scum. I think the production on Scum, way better than what was put on this. And I have to also take into account that it's more of a compilation of demo albums as opposed to a full-length release. But again, that's where I say if I could go back in time, bring some tech to these dudes before they disbanded and said, hey, like I know you guys got all this shit before you go and record it. Use this stuff. Like, I knew that this album with the techniques that they have, especially if they took the production of what they did with Death Breath and redid these albums in a sense of how that album sounds with what they did there. Yes. Fucking would be so awesome. It would probably be one of the most repeated albums on my fucking, you know, song history because it's just, the songs are that good, but then the production makes it sound so jumbled and you're not really knowing what's happening. And again, a lot of people look for that in their grindcore where it's just fucking crash cymbals and guitars railing at each other and mm. you couldn't even hear the vocals if they're even singing at that point. But that is one particular album that I do highly wish had the luxury of today's technology. Now, I have two albums. They were back-to-back releases. Um, I'm referring to Blizzard of Oz and Daria from Mad Men. Yes. They're both very good albums. The production's good on them. My issue is the Randy Rhodes guitar tone. It is hailed, or not hailed, it's been, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. It's been discriminated against. It's probably one of the most hated guitar tones next to Dimebag Daryl of Pantera. They both have two of the most fucking unlistenable guitar tones, you know, to the average listener. And I feel like with, like, newer gear and whatever... Not necessarily production, because I, I like the production on both uh, uh, Blizzard of Oz and Dire Man Man. Dire Man Man more so. But um, if they just had better shit back then, I know Randy was using Marshalls and Les Paul, and it was the best that it could be at the time. And granted, it works. It really does. But if Randy had like a, like a Marshall JCM 800 or some shit, and, you know, like real deal fucking like new age shit... Fuck, could you imagine what Flying High Again would sound like with a newer rig? It would be fucking incredible. It would be oh, insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Imagine Over the Mountain with a newer drum kit. It'd be oh, fucking yeah. nuts. Yeah, that's the one album I always feel. Because... Yeah. It would be yeah. insane. Yeah. Because Diary is my favorite Ozzy album, and I yeah. always feel the same way. Like, it's just... 
you can hear the songs. They can pack a punch, and it's just yes. they don't do it because of the production, but you know the talent and the musicianship within mm-hmm. it if you heard it a certain way. You know what I mean? That's another thing. Like when you have these opportunities to see certain artists live and you get to see these songs with a real fucking sound. Exactly. It's great. Now, I have one that I think you're going to disagree with me on very, very much so. Some would call this the main precursor to the American wave of thrash metal. Quite possibly one of the more uh, important albums of its time. Venom's black metal. That's weird. I was just looking at that. Were you? And I was actually going to bring that up as a relation to say of the times I do like the production. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like black metal was way ahead of its time. And... Uh, how important it was, you know, there, there's no denying the importance of this album. However, if the production quality was better, and I I don't even mean like it needs to be like light years ahead like how we have now. If they had like Scott Burns produce it. I was going to say, or even because like, I mean, they came shit. out of the new wave of British heavy metal. Give it like number of the beast production. It would be so know? much better. I get what you be mean. Way Even killers. More, killers had great. It would be great way production. more. It would be way more well received. Yeah, it really would. It, and it would probably get me into Venom. I honestly think too, which is crazy. You say that because that again is where I can stand. Like when I argue against the grindcore scene with, you know, people probably love it for that production. That's one of the reasons. Good yeah. On that. The Venom black metal album, and including Welcome to Hell as well, because I can kind of use that in the same breath. They're basically produced the same way, and they have the same theme and sound. Venom black metal, there are a couple songs on there where I could totally see that, but it's also because of the title of the album, and people try to hail it as the originators of the scene. Yeah. Even though more so it was just the lyrical content, not necessarily the music that led to the album it's you know that came afterwards of the genre the quality of it to me is that that's where i all stand and say that's actually what makes that album <laughs> that's i totally get why you knew you were gonna head that way because i i listen to venom black like, i have it on vinyl yeah um, i actually now i'm you're forcing my hand i'm gonna have to bring it over here <laughs> and it's a repressing of 180 grams so you'll hear it but it still has the same value yeah so maybe Maybe you'll sit down and give it a real thoughted listen, or through you know, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give the a old turntable over there, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I can totally see that. That's something where I can understand totally from that perspective because there are a lot of people. Um, one big thing too, um, and I'll probably just narrow this down afterwards, and I guess we'll can come to our consensus. But one thing I kind of wish was redone, and it's not even to say that it's bad. It's just I almost wish it was more brought to life is all the mother love bone recordings. Yes. I think because of what Pearl jam was able to accomplish with mm-hmm. their instrumental talents with the exact know, same band with the exact, <laughs> that's why I say their instrumental talents. You just <laughs> basically take Andy Wood out. But I think with all the nineties scene and how they were able to constantly evolve and advance and get better and better and better that I think if mother love bone had stayed together, you know, which obviously was possible Due yeah, to circumstances. Drugs are bad. Um, As we learned earlier in the show. Yes. Um, but the Mother Love Bone recordings, they're not bad. They're not no. as bad as some of the artists that we were, you know, relating back to Tad. and saying, yeah. Tad was pretty bad. I, see, I like Tad's recordings because I like, because given the idea, it's like when I hear like a bone saw, like it's, yeah. it sounds like someone's like sawing <laughs> through some fucking wood, dude. It's just, it's just something. Um, but no, like, there's something about Pearl Jam, especially 10 and Vitology, where they have that level of polishness that Versus didn't bring. Yes. Where Versus, like, there are several songs on there, and I love that album, as we know. We've mm-hmm. had this conversation before. Um, but, 10 sure? and, yeah, but 10 and Vitology, Mother Love Bone had more of that grandstand vibe, not as yeah. like a raw, grungy vibe, where Andy Wood was almost like in the same breath as glam metal and the way that he sounded and his persona and the vibe that he brought where he could have had that more polished theatrical sound to it. And those songs with that same quality of Pearl Jam, I think in this sense, you know, those songs could have been just way more brought to life and way more recognized than they already are. 
I think to kind of um, to kind of wrap mine or my, wrap my list up. I mean, I know I talked about a lot of older stuff, but um, probably something on the newer um, end of the spectrum would be AFI "Sing the Sorrow." Mm-hmm. Like it has it has to do with all those like post hardcore emo bands from the early two thousands. I feel like just like how it used to be with death metal, they weren't. 100% sure how to record these bands and have it sound like how it should per se but I mean obviously now that's like like how it's supposed to be but back then I feel like these bands weren't really um weren't really uh necessarily captured like how we were talking about earlier captured the way that it should have been yeah and I feel like Sing the Sorrow kind of really is the uh kind of really is like the epitome of this and um you know, you listen to like Girls Not Gray and shit like that. It the production could be better if they knew how to tackle this new genre that was emerging. Like I said, it's just like it mirrors the you know the trajectory of what death metal was. They weren't sure how to attack this type of music, so at the end of the day, the recording quality kind of you know it suffered. But um, yeah, that kind of wraps it up for me. Do you have anything else? I was just going to say one um, that I was just looking at here that made me think about it was, um, you know, I, I talk back to, you know, punk and stuff of that nature. Um, one of the albums, Agent Orange, Living in Darkness. Yeah. That album, because, again, punk for me, a lot of the reason I like it is because of the production quality as low as it may be and to some people's ears not as polished. And that's usually why I'm listening to it. But Agent Orange, um, Living in Darkness, had way more melody. Like It was almost, I want to say parallel to a pop punk feel because it was still that skate surf punk. Yeah. But because of the instrumental they brought and the guitar work and the solos and the leads and the harmony, everything to that, they deserved more of a like real deeper, richer production to that yeah, album. Yeah, I agree. If you even took the replacements of like Tim, that mm-hmm. level of production to the Living in Darkness album, like Bloodstains, if you were here, you know what I mean. Yeah. It just it just sounds hollow to me. Like it doesn't really bring. There's the no like 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 girth. Yeah, it, yeah, that's the best. All right, that's the way <laughs> the, the less girthy appeal of these songs. Exactly, it's lacking girthy appeal. It's <laughs> the best way to put it. That's totally fair. Because that's honestly how I feel about it. Yeah, like, there's it's all like just no like, balls to it. It's just, there's yeah, no it's bottom just a, end. It's a thin pencil dick of songs. It's just you know, it's just. And as, we all, and as we've all found out through trial and error and as through life, you realize it's not about the size of the ship. It's about the motion in the ocean. And the girth. And, and you know, the uh, girth. I think nine out of ten women uh, agree that girth is more important than length. I think it was Steve Stifler that said, uh, I'm ten inches around. <laughs> all about that girth. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> So, what do you think? Was there albums that we didn't bring up? Is there... Do you disagree with what we said? Do you really feel like, I don't know, Kill Em All has the best production that it possibly could and Metallica needed that production in order to propel them into the next five albums? Do you feel that your songs of your, you know, favorite childhood memories are lacking endowment? That you wish they had the girth of a soda can? Head us up. <laughs> Hit us up on our social media accounts Facebook.com slash RATM Podcast Instagram and Twitter at RATM Podcast And you can get us on our email at RATM Podcast at gmail.com That concludes the topic The last topic for season 3 Now, with our suggestions for this week Well, for the for this season, I guess we're going to go about it in a different way. We're not going to do personal or a group suggestion. We're actually going to leave this on a cliffhanger, so we force you guys to come back. Now, if you've been a fan of the show and you've listened to it since day one, you know that I would take a cheeseburger alternative to hearing a certain band, and Steve would take the cheeseburger alternative to hearing another certain band. That Album. album. Well, actually, certain era of a band, I guess you yeah. could say, because the whole era... <laughs> Throwing that all the way out. The other person is very fond of this particular artist or, you know, era of this band. So what we're going to do is we're going to suggest a complete album. 
I'm going to suggest one to Steve. Steve's going to suggest one to me. And we're going to suggest both of them to you. That'll be our group suggestion until we come back for season four. Would you like to do the honors of doing the first suggestion? So Bill is known to have the cheeseburger alternative to arguably one of the great classical psychedelic rock bands and one of the most talented vocalists of our entire history. That being The Doors with Jim Morrison, of course, because everything without him was shouldn't even never have <laughs> came to the light of day. The album I am recommending here for Bill is going to be my personal favorite, which is a shame because I don't usually do this. I usually just recommend the one that I know that's going to hit on the money, which would be the self-title. But I'm going to go out of my way here. Recommend the second release called Strange Days. Strange Days features several phenomenal tracks. The highlight track I'm going to pin out for you is going to be Moonlight Drive. Okay. Either that or When the Music's Over, which is the longest song in the album. Those are my two favorites off the album, but Moonlight Drive is a song I'm going to ask you to be the standout for you. Okay. So we will see. Um, My suggestion and recommendation for you is to check out the 1985 Van Halen classic, 5150. This is the first album to feature Sammy Hagar. It's also the first Van Halen album to uh, reach number one on the Billboard Top 200. Um. In my opinion, this is some of Van Halen's best work. It features some of the best guitar playing of the whole discography of the whole fucking band. Um, a lot of the riffs are extremely, extremely complicated, you know, if you were to translate them to actually playing them for real. And just the talent of the band was at an all-time high with the departure of David Lee Roth. And from this, you can tell why his departure from the band actually happened and how he stayed on his trajectory sounding like classic Van Halen all the way up until the nineties and how Van Halen kind of succeeded into uh mainstream success. I think we'll call it um, for better or worse, but 5150 is always the album that I like to recommend to people that I try to get into the Hagar era because there's just literally so many good songs once you get past, like, Why Can't This Be Love or Dreams, which are the two biggest singles off that album, all the rest of them are really fucking good. Um, I think, honestly, Summer Nights I think you'd be down with. I really think you'd like the actual song 5150. There is a wild card on the album called Inside. It kind of has, like a, like, a Depeche Mode kind of fucking feel to it. It's really goofy. But it works for the album. If you had to narrow it down, what would be the highlight track? Highlight track for me... It would have to be... Summer Nights. Okay. Summer Nights, because of the complexity of the song, the riffs, and just the all-around feeling of the song, I think you'd I think you'd really be down with it. I think you'd okay. really fuck with it. All right. So to say this here, what we're hoping to do at the show is ultimately help us help you by exposing each other into music that we typically wouldn't find appealing and also try to once a month give new recommendations while simultaneously being able to review those recommendations so it's not just us, you know, throwing albums out there and never coming back to discuss what we had thought about them because, exactly. you know, me and Bill here listen to pretty much everything we share with each other but we never really go to lengths to show why we may or may not like these albums as much especially exactly. personal recommendations um so coming back to the show we'll try to do this once a month give an album recommendation and the following month give a rec you know a review recommendation on said album but i want to just say one thing about 150 150 before we get in closing to let people know how much i disdain sammy hagar van halen and how much of a treat this is going to be for me i actually went record shopping i bought 13 albums one of those albums was 51 50 because to know me and bill are also sharing this music through vinyl so we're hoping in the most hipster way fashion to find <laughs> the best way to listen to this music but I went record shopping. I bought 13 albums. One of those albums was 5150 because I planned to give it to my co-host here, Bill. He already had the album, of course. <laughs> and me being a vain person on social media, I wanted to take a picture of the haul that I got at the record store. Now, bear in mind, I bought 13 records. 
only 12 records made it into the photo because I was so embarrassed to even show that I had purchased that album. And I'm pretty sure when the guy was flipping through, ooh, Possessed Seven Churches, not bad. Ooh, Two Molds, new album, that's pretty cool. Ooh, the Ramones, Rocket the Brush. And then he gave me a look when he got to... The one holding the fucking world with the Van Halen logo <laughs> on it. And I'm just, but it's like, dude, I, I have it. I'm, this a, I'm a gift. I'm, a, I'm, I'm excited at the re- renewing of the opportunity. Yeah. I'm not excited because I, I, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess I'm not excited because I, I have a thought of where this is going to go, but I'm also yeah. excited because I've never played the album off of a vinyl and I don't even think I've ever listened to it front to back. So it's there, a real there's some good hidden gems. That's what I'm that saying. Album. It's a real there opportunity. Really and like how what I'm trying to stress with music is that's the most important part for me in particular. And I'm sure for most people is that you don't want to pigeonhole yourself. Yep. You know, you want to have that opportunity that I can go out there and say I like something and I have to say, OK, because my friends don't like it. I shouldn't like it. That should be a total off the table reason of why you don't fucking listen to certain music. Yep. So. And with that being said, you shouldn't listen to your friends if they say, why are you listening to Rage Against the Mainstream podcast? As a matter of fact, you should be getting your friends involved with this podcast. Have them follow us on social media, facebook.com slash R-A-T-M podcast, Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M podcast, or drop us a line, R-A-T-M podcast at gmail.com. But this concludes season three. This is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream podcast for the books. We will return at a later date. The show will keep running. Thank you for your continued support. As long as you keep listening, we're going to keep putting these out. And even if you're not listening. Yeah, we're still going to do it anyway. It doesn't doesn't, doesn't really fucking matter. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the season. This is Bill. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.